Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, your attention please. Through the modern technological wonder of podcasting, Catholic News Agency and EWCN News are proud to present a new and exciting installment of CNA Newsroom. Tonight's program features an amazing and inspiring individual. Though appearing on the outside as an ordinary man, he's remembered as a powerhouse of prayer, a champion of charity, and in many ways, the embodiment of truth, justice, and humility. He is, in short, the saintly superhero of the 20th century. In today's episode, join us as we chronicle the amazing adventures of Carol Wojtyla, better known as St. John Paul II. Without further ado, a new episode of CNA Newsroom starts right now. It's been nearly a hundred years since the birth of St. John Paul II, the Pope who led the Catholic Church into the new millennium. In Christ and in His Church, you will find the light and grace you need to live in fidelity and joy. In 27 years of pontificate, for sure he either wrote or talked about many of the topics that uh, we are somehow trying to understand. Let's just find and see what he said. (laughs) This is Mario Ensler, a friend of the podcast who served as a Swiss guard for John Paul II. He could make anybody feel comfortable. Doesn't matter if he was talking to a Nobel Prize or a homeless person to, you know, to a, 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 a president of a state or a, a kindergarten school teacher. He thought around the world, okay, for 27 years, telling us we have to aim for greatness. I will say that in a thousand years, he will be remembered because of his simplicity. You know, he was a genius. He was an intellectual, he was an academic, but at the same time, he was a man of simplicity. More people saw him in person than probably anyone else in human history. He's the great Christian witness of our time. This is George Weigel, John Paul II's biographer. This man lived a life of such extraordinary drama that no Hollywood scriptwriter would dare come up with such a storyline. I mean, it would just be regarded as absurd. He's the exemplar of the fact that a life wholly dedicated to Jesus Christ and the gospel is the most exciting human life possible. He had a spark, you know, when you look at somebody's eyes, he had a spark in there that was always give me the chills. He was fearless, and that's where I think the emulation for me comes. We're not going to tell John Paul's entire life story today. That's a podcast for another time. Instead, we're going to head somewhere completely different and tell you about the unlikely birth of an idea that aimed to bring John Paul II's life story to the world in a brand new way. 
You're listening to CNA Newsroom. I'm your host, Jonah McKeown. Don't go away. As a lot of people know, JP2 wasn't afraid to have some fun. He was an avid outdoorsman, a hiker, a camper, a skier. He also had a great sense of humor. He really was a multifaceted saint, and a man of many talents. But there's one side of JP2 that's been largely forgotten. That time when Pope John Paul II became a Marvel superhero. Okay, so not technically a superhero, but there is a Marvel comic book from 1982 that is all about the life of Pope John Paul II. From his childhood in Poland, all the way up to the attempt on his life by a would-be assassin. And get this, it's actually one of the best-selling comics Marvel ever produced. For comparison, back in the 80s, a comic would have been considered a success if Marvel had sold 150,000 or so copies. This one sold well over a million. And if you go online and search for used copies of it, there are still a lot of copies out there to be had. But as I'm sure you're wondering, how did this come to be? Of all the subjects for a comic book, why the recently elected Pope? Well, buckle up, because it's actually a pretty fascinating story. It's worth briefly noting that the JP2 comic was not the first religious-themed comic that Marvel produced. The first one they made was about the life of St. Francis, and the third and final one was about Mother Teresa. More on those later. The JP2 comic came out nearly 40 years ago, so when I started researching, I really had no idea if anyone involved in the comic was still around, let alone whether I could get a hold of them. Sadly, a couple of the people who worked on the comic, such as the artist who penciled the drawings, have since died. But the guy who actually wrote the comic... Hello? He picked up. My name is Stephen Grant. I am a professional comic book writer. I have been at it for 40 years now. For Stephen, working on a comic book about John Paul II... The uh, pulp book, we have always referred to it as the pulp book. ...was both ordinary in the sense of the writing process and somewhat extraordinary given the subject matter. It was pretty out of the ordinary, but once in a while, you know, it was... Under the catchphrase, um, special projects. No one was really afraid of, of offending him, but, you know, there there's a lot of room to offend a lot of people if you do a bad job with it. <laughs> Stephen was working for Marvel in New York when he heard that Marvel was doing another religious comic, this time about John Paul II. It sounded like kind of a nutty idea to me, to tell you the truth. Stephen figured they would probably ask Mary Jo Duffy, the writer of the St. Francis comic, to write this one as well. That is, until he happened to run into Mary Jo at a party. She said, oh, I'm not writing. And I said, oh, yeah? She said, I heard you were. And I said, what? <laughs> First I had heard about it. And then uh, then on Friday, on Monday morning, I got this phone call saying, could you uh, come in and talk to Jim Shooter, who was the editor-in-chief of Marvel at the time? And I go in there and he says, oh, yeah, we want you to write this. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got involved because I was expendable at the time. 
I, I, I wasn't someone that they desperately wanted writing the Fantastic Four that month. So, you know, so it was like I was a good person to put on this book. They knew I was Catholic, basically. That's, I think, my big, my big credential for it. But hang on. This doesn't answer the question of why Marvel's executives decided to do a series of religious comic books in the first place. Well, there was a guy named Gene Pelk who worked as a rep- Marvel representative in Japan who was um, very in with the Franciscan Brotherhood there. And do you still keep in touch with Gene at all? I hadn't. I don't think I've heard anything about him since like 86 or 87. I had to know who this Gene Pelt guy was. But again, all this happened four decades ago. Was he even still with us? After some investigation, it seemed like I'd hit a dead end. Until... Hi, Jonah, this is Gene. Yep, I found him. Gene was indeed, as Stephen had said, a representative for Marvel in Japan for many years. We're going back now, when I was a young man, 30, 40 years ago, I was working for Marvel Comics. And um, I came to Japan to put Marvel into Japan. And um, luckily was successful at that. So I got kind of known as Marvel's man in Japan. Also, and... This is very much a tangent, but Gene is the creator of Power Rangers. Now, the Power Rangers was my idea. But I digress. How did this New Yorker end up in Japan, and how did that lead to a comic book about the Pope? A lot of people have asked me, what took me to Japan? And my answer to that is three people. A woman, Spider-Man, and Stan Lee. Gene met his wife while in college, and she's Japanese. He took several trips with her to Tokyo, and he liked it there. And I started looking for uh, a reason to be there. Stan Lee was a famous comic book publisher for Marvel for many, many years, until his death in 2018. He's also the guy that made a cameo appearance in, like, every single Marvel movie. And I found out that there was a tremendous interest in comic books and animation in Japan that far exceeded what I saw in America. Of course, I was a fan of comic books in America. I followed Marvel and DC, and uh, I saw an opportunity there. Long story short, Gene was very successful at adapting the character Spider-Man for Japanese audiences on TV. And we made a year's worth of 52 episodes, I believe, of a Japanese Spider-Man that was quite different from the American version but it was very successful. It's important to note at this point that Japan was neither then, nor is it now, a very Christian country. Less than half a percent of the population is Catholic. Being Catholic, I found a place called the Franciscan Chapel Center, and it was kind of my home away from home. It was mainly European and Americans who attended it, and it was English-speaking. The priests were all English-speaking, so that made a natural reason for me to go there and take my family. One day, a priest who lived at the center approached Gene with an unusual proposition. He said, I've got an idea. He said, next year, this is going to be the 800th anniversary of the birth of St. Francis of Assisi. He said, how about doing a comic about that? Gene's first thought was whether Catholics in the U.S. might be able to help promote the comic. But the priest, whose name was Father Campion Lawley, was adamant that he wanted non-Catholics to read it, too. The real reason I want this done is not so much to put it into the church's way. 
I want to reach an audience that the church does not reach. I want to take St. Francis out of the birdbath, was exactly his comment. Reach people that do not go to church. I want to reach people in the places that buy comic books and that kind of publications. So Gene called up Stan Lee, who apparently liked the idea. But when Gene pitched the idea to the higher-ups at Marvel, they weren't quite so supportive at first. The guys all said, Gene, you've been in Japan too long. Nobody wants to hear about that. They want to hear about superheroes, Captain America, Spider-Man, and people like that. Gene had heard that the Paulist Press, a U.S.-based publisher, was planning to order 250,000 copies of the comic upon its release. And he told the executives that. And then the Marvel people said, Gene, what a great idea. After that, it was off to the races on Marvel's first ever religious-themed comic. A Franciscan priest based in New York City named Father Roy Gasnick helps writer Mary Jo Duffy to write the story for the comic. Then the artists did their magic and eventually produced the comic entitled Francis, Brother of the Universe. That became a huge hit, critically and business-wise. After the break, how Marvel took a chance on another religious-themed comic, and how the project was very nearly derailed. Twice. We'll be right back. This is Michelle LaRosa, Deputy Editor-in-Chief at CNA. I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school my whole life. I work for Catholic News Agency. But I have certainly not exhausted the richness of the Catholic faith. I like CNA Newsroom because it allows me to continue learning new things about the Catholic world, from inspiring stories of modern-day saints to a look at where the Palm Sunday palms come from to the ethical considerations surrounding vegetarianism. There's always something new to learn, something interesting to reflect on and discuss. If you're interested in learning more about the Catholic world from all kinds of different perspectives, CNA Newsroom is the podcast for you. Subscribe to CNA Newsroom on your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. Each episode will be delivered straight to your phone. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many more. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about us. Now, back to the episode. So, to recap, Gene was riding high off the success of the St. Francis comic book. So then, the next step was kind of pretty obvious to me. Being Catholic and being Polish, Pope John Paul II was extremely popular in the world at that time. He was traveling much more than the old popes did previously. He went around the world, he went to the States, and he was actually coming to Japan. The year was 1981, and inspired by the Pope's visit, Gene began to look into whether Marvel would agree to do a comic about his life. A friend of Gene's introduced him to Father Mieczysław Malinski, who was a friend of JP2's back in Poland. So then I sat with Father Malinsky and I said, Father, you knew the Pope better than almost anybody. You grew up with him, you laughed with him, you cried with him, you know his story. I said, could you write the story of uh, the Pope that we could do as a comic book similar to St. Francis? And um, 
he said yes. Father Malinsky apparently went and talked to the Pope to see what he thought about the idea. He went and talked to the Pope about it, and apparently the Pope loved the idea. And he said, yes, as long as we work on this together and I put my ideas and you put your writings together, let's do this thing. So the Marvel team was off to the races yet again. The first step? Research. And a lot of it. said, here's how we'll do it. Father Malinsky is going to bring you the story. He's got all the visuals. He's got photographs of Carol Voitillo when he was young. He has uh, all these reminiscent stories and all the books he's written. I think he thought he'd written about 10 books at the time. So he's going to do the basic storyline. It was, it was a little pre-internet, but yeah. <laughs> this is Stephen again. So I spent a couple of days going through him, going through his uh, story and listening to uh, his take on the whole thing and, and particularly of the events in, the events back in Poland are during the war are largely come from him. And, uh, you know, I just I kept asking lots of questions and sorted it out. And then so by the end of that, I'd had a basic framework and then I started reading everything I could to kind of fit in other things fill it in you know so um so that that was it i mean it was based you know it was just pure research <laughs> the comet came out only a couple years after john paul ii's election during the time when poland was still under communist rule the communists put up the sort of put up the iron curtain around poland and our communication with Father Malinsky got shut off. I couldn't talk to him, I couldn't write to him, so he had to smuggle his story out. After John Paul II's visit to his native country in 1979, it would be another decade before the Solidarity Party in Poland, with the Pope's encouragement, would finally gain a majority in Parliament, and, largely peacefully, the country would shrug off the shackles of communism. He had a remarkable capacity to encourage. Again, this is George Weigel, John Paul II's biographer. He spoke to his people about Polish culture, about what made Poland Poland. And at the center of that, of course, in addition to a distinctive history, a distinctive language, distinctive literature, uh, was the intensity of Poland's Catholic faith. The church had been the safe deposit box of Polish identity for hundreds of years under very, very difficult circumstances. And he essentially said to his people, if you reclaim the truth of who you are, you will find tools of resistance that these brutal materialists can't match. European communism would have collapsed at some point. The system was so contradictory to the essential nature of the human person that it was going to collapse at some point. The reason why it collapsed when it did in 1989 is because of that revolution of conscience. It brought about its demise without massive bloodshed. That's remarkable. And it might not have happened that way, and it almost certainly would not have happened at that moment in time, absent John Paul II. The comic book mainly focuses on JP2's life in Poland during World War II and his eventual ascent to the papacy. 
Along the way, it chronicles the sorrows that he faced with the death of his mother, his brother, and his father, his secret entry into the seminary, and his resilience in the face of the Nazi regime. I read as much as, as I could about it, cross-referenced things, you know, I mean, I figured anything that I found three or four references to was probably accurate. I didn't have that much time to research it. They, they did want it in fairly short order. And it's one thing about comics is they like their schedules. If you read the book, you'll notice I don't go into the religion a whole lot in the book. I mean, it's pretty specifically about him. And I thought, and it wasn't that I had anything against the religion or anything. It was just that I thought this is, we're not just going to be, this is supposedly not just going to be going to Catholics. So, you know, I, there's no reason to like, like proselytize the religion. It's about the Pope. I mean, he can, you know, he can proselytize for the religion better than I can. So, yeah. But he led a pretty interesting life. And, um, you know, so I, I didn't think there was any dearth of material. While we were in production, there was an assassination attempt on Pope John Paul, which I'm sure you remember. 10,000 or more had come to receive the blessing of Pope John Paul. Instead, amongst the cheering and the peal of bells announcing the arrival of the Pope, they heard gunfire and saw the Pope turn pale and collapse bloody into the arms of his aides. Pope John Paul II had been shot. A Turkish terrorist who had threatened... Now that we thought might stop the book, but it didn't. We put that into the book itself. If you read the book, you'll find, you know, where he gets the assassination attempt. The book came out in 1982, and... It, too, was a hit. For a while, I was the Marvel's best-selling writer of all time because this it, it they sold well over a million copies of this, which at the time was their best-selling book. But a lot of it was bought up by, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't like it sold on the newsstand. It was like a lot of it was bought up by Catholic agencies. I think the Franciscans brought up, bought up a mass of it. So, so in, a way, it was, in a way, it was kind of rigged, but it doesn't change the title any. Them. So for about eight, so about eight years, I held that title. I got the royalties in '83. I remember that because I paid off my student loans with them. <laughs> so, did JP2 ever get to see himself portrayed as a Marvel hero? Yes, he did, and he was presented a, a, one of the Marvel people. One of the, I believe it was the uh, the president of Marvel Comics Group went to uh, Rome and presented him with a copy of it. It was a leather-bound edition, as I understand. And there are some pictures of him looking at the comic. I don't have them. You know, there's too many years have passed. But there are pictures of him looking at the comic. The success of the first two comic books spawned a third, this time about another future saint, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Although Jean wasn't able to assist with that project, that comic was also popular. These days, Jean and Stephen have gone their separate ways. Gene owns a business that sells merchandise for musical artists in Japan, but he's excited about a new project he's working on. I've written a story called The 26 Martyrs of Japan that I believe would be a great legacy of the uh, religious comics that we did because this would bring to the world another example of something that is quite amazing. Their example is a great shining example to the world of what belief in Christ and God can do. These days, you can find many awesome Christian-themed comics and graphic novels out there. 
But Marvel, which, as you probably know, was bought by Disney a few years back, and has created over 30,000 comics over the years, is not showing any signs of wanting to create any more religious comics, at least that we know of. Sorry, Pope Francis. For his part, Gene thinks it's unlikely that a company like Marvel would produce something like this again. But he's glad that, by means of the Pope book, as they called it, he and Stephen and the entire team at Marvel were able to tell a good story in a world inundated by bad stories. And most especially, a good story about a man who kept the faith through a trying life and ultimately became a beloved Pope and an inspiring saint. When the war happened, it affected him. And it showed how he could come from a humble background. As you, if you know much about the Pope, he came from a humble background and became perhaps, in, well, in some people's estimation, the greatest Pope of all time because he did extend his ministry beyond the walls of the church, as you might say, and carry it to a world that had never seen the Pope. I believe he was the Pope, to, the first Pope to have visited the Far East. And of course, when he visited Tokyo and Japan, that was very exciting because Japan was a, and still is, a very non-Christian country. So when he came to places like that, he carried the word of Christ and God with him and inspired a whole new group of people. And that kind of a man deserved to be known by more than just people who go to the church. He was a, he was an everyman pope. And I, being Polish, loved him. And I was so happy to bring about a book that millions of people were able to read and find out about that they would not have otherwise. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host, Jonah McKeown, and our executive producer is Kate Oliveira. Special thanks this week to Gene Pelk, Stephen Grant, George Weigel, and Mario Ensler. Be sure to subscribe to the show on any podcast app. St. John Paul II, pray for us. Thank you.